Dystopia tonight. Our guest tonight, a huge fan of his. He has worked. He's he's one of the best um, session guys around. He's worked with James Taylor. He's worked with Jackson Brown, Carol King, Linda Ronstadt. Which I feel like we've had a lot of connections to Linda Ronstadt on this show, except we've just never Absolutely. had. Yeah, everybody like either praises her up and down or just has worked with her. It's crazy. Um, and uh, and he's got a, a great new book out that he's going to show us. He has got um, another a new documentary album, coming a documentary out, coming out a new album coming out. Um, he's just doing a bunch of amazing stuff. So let's not waste any time and bring out Leland Sklar. Hello. Hi, guys. How as, you doing, man? As Ted Knight would say, hi, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I did an album with Ted called Hi, Guys. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he did. Uh, we did stuff. He was saying as Ted Baxter. And we did like Blueberry Hill and Pinball Wizard. and Oh, my God. I did not know that existed. I need to find this. And he was the coolest guy. And I, I before we do anything else, I want to say you guys have, of all the shows I've done, you have probably the best opening for any show, man. Anytime I can see Godzilla, any of those things <laughs> on there, it's like, man, I went, I just, every time I, I see the beginning of your show, I go, this is the best. Oh, thank you. Really? I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's That's really sweet. Yeah. That was, the, like, that was the shit that was going on in my head as uh and when this all started. So, yeah, this interesting head. <laughs> <laughs> Man, if I had a nickel. Uh, yeah, and I'm really sorry about Angela Lansbury too. What a wonderful, wonderful artist on so many levels: singer, you know, stage actress. Yeah. Um, film actress and just wonderful wonderful woman but then nice long life and like you said with dick van dyke too man uh, he's like the energizer bunny man he's just yeah. still posting videos of him in the gym working out and stuff. right yeah i i love dick van dyke so much man it, it is going i know there's probably obviously as the days are numbered i have less time to meet him but i mean i've tried in every way possible to to talk with dick van dyke and it is not it's uh He's a he's a hard man to reach because he's on the go so much. Well, I got I got him to sign my bass. Oh my god! Awesome. We we there's DJs in LA. They they don't they don't have their show anymore. Mark and Brian, mm -hmm. and every year they would do a Christmas show, and uh, they would one of the features of the show at like six a.m. at the Hollywood Palladium. They would get some old actor or actress to come in and do a reading of the night before Christmas. And they had, I, I got, and so I, I had my bass with me, and Dick did it one year. Got Milton Berle, got Bob Hope, got Debbie Reynolds. Oh my uh, God. Will Torme, um, oh. all, all those people, man. I, I like, I'm really just an immediate whore. I just jump right into the police sign. Please sign this. Yeah. And is That's, it all on one bass? Uh, yeah. Wow. That's I've so got cool. two basses. One of them uh, is known as, uh, actually, hold on, it's right Ooh. here. Awesome. Uh, this face oh. is known in the music scene as Frankenstein. <laughs> well, oh my God. Face back in the. Uh, that is wow. Cool. That is incredible, dude. There's Merle Haggard right there. Yeah, I was just. Oh and my God. Andy Griffith is next to him. But I've got this other bass, which also um, have all these signatures on. And um, that's what I really treasure is just all these moments every time. I, I mean, on that base right there, I got Jeff Picaro's right next to my heart. Wow. Oh, it's, it's deep for me. That is incredible. Yeah. You just gave me a great idea, man. I think I'm going to, if I may, with your permission, I think I'm going to have people I like sign this jacket. I wear it everywhere. Why not? Yeah. 
That's a great. It's one of those things that later in life, um, you you kind or even at this point, you know, like a year from now, like there might be somebody who signed it, and as soon as you look at it, a great memory comes back, or you look at it and you go, "God, I wish I could get rid of this." You know. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I mean I don't know how you feel about. Do you, are you a photography guy? Do you like taking yeah. pictures with people? Yeah, me too. I really like it. And oh, that's right. Yes, yeah. the book exactly. But I really like. I find it. You know, I try to respect it when people are very put off by it. But yeah. I also feel like, man, one day you're gonna get like a little older, and you're gonna be bummed that you don't have anything to look back on. It, it's real. I mean, it's really interesting because I mean, we we've just kind of jumped in. I'm just. My wife always goes, "He's a blabbermouth." <laughs> but like when I've done interviews uh, in the past, they, I always get the question, is there anything you regret mm. in your career? Right. And the one thing that came to my mind immediately the first time I heard that question and it never changes is I wished I would have had a camera with me from day one. Yeah. Even if it was an Instamatic 110 or a you know Polaroid or something, but I because I, I can remember absolutely distinctly the very first professional recording session I did, which was with Brian Highland oh. and um, in the beginning of 1970. Right. And if I could have just taken a picture of Brian, the guys and gals on the session, the studio, um, just even for, for nothing more than my own documentation, mm-hmm. uh, I, I regret that, you know, but it's one of those things that at that point I had no idea I had a career. Right, you know, right. You didn't have the yeah. job. Um, so, sure. you know, I look back, you know, you know, five, five decades plus later, and it makes me sad that I really because so many are gone now. Sure. You know, the gone list is so much bigger than the still here list. God, yeah, man, I can imagine. And, and that's another thing, too, is like I, you know, even with like my my close friends and stuff like that, I was always the guy with a camera, even before cell phone. Cam- you know, I had this yeah. while I had my whatever camera. And I remember friends back then who would be like, oh, just live in the moment. Why do you got to take a photo? Blah, blah. But now they're like, hey, man, do you have any pics of us when we were at that? And I'm just like, yes, I do. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We were it's, talking to, do you know uh, Chris Reed from um, Third Eye Blind? I know the name. I, I've ne- we've never met though. He's he's a he's a, another guy we bonded over the idea of because he is basically doing like he he's obviously the the lead guitarist and stuff, but he um he kind of does all the photography stuff for the band, and he's but he's just he's very interested in videography and stuff. Right. And I was kind of asking him, and I want to check with you as well is how do you ease into do you just start taking stuff like and and do you ask like okay you just start doing it um it's a good way to do it i think i'm good at reading the room you know i see somebody that definitely looks like they are not into it i immediately take their picture (laughs) (laughs) no i mean the the beauty the beauty of like cell phones is uh, you're not setting up, you're not sitting there tweaking around, you know, getting your F-stop and all that shit together. Right. You just yeah. get up and you snap. And, um, no, but I, I mean, I, I really, there's, I see people that you can tell that they don't want their picture taken. And I'm not going to get into their space. But like when I did my book, I just walked up to people and said, hey, flip me off. <laughs> they would kind of look at me and they go, what do you mean? I go, come on, man, come on. And then they would... <laughs> And it's so everything was spontaneous. It wasn't like two shots to pick the best one. Yeah. Um, and and I, I love having the phone with me. It's like, you know, I don't know back there if you have the same kind of cats as we have out here, but there's like these guys that stand on corners flipping signs. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Okay. I was driving down the street one day and I'm listening to the radio and I see this guy dancing, doing it. And he's in perfect sync with what's playing on my radio. Oh my so God. I stopped. I just pulled over to the curb and I filmed him and it, you would swear to God, this guy's got headphones on and he's listening to that. <laughs> you, you capture moments or you're driving along and all of a sudden that perfect light comes through the clouds and they're pink and gorgeous. And you just yeah. grab a picture, you know, the, the beauty is you're not going to the place, getting everything developed and looking at a $300 development bill for like two pictures. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Take a thousand pictures and you delete 999 of them. If you need. Yeah. Um, so and I love get the I, one. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I document as much as I possibly can. Yeah. I, I agree, man. I, I know those moments too. I was in, I was coming back from a gig in upstate New York and mm -hmm. I shit you not. I'm at, just coincidentally, I'm listening to my iPhone. The Ghostbusters theme comes on and there is a guy must have been coming back from a party with a Ghostbusters mobile. And I and I was just like, oh, my, and I like literally I have I'm going to post this as a reel. I took my phone out and I started filming him and I'm excited. I'm like, hey, the song is on. And you could just see this guy is miserable in bumper to bumper traffic in like Long Island. Like, fuck you, guy. And I'm yeah. just like. No, it's a song though. But it was your moment. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was mine. Fuck him. Yeah, yeah. He busting <laughs> did not make him feel good. I'll tell you that. Um, but uh, yeah, I know, man. I love those moments. Yeah. It's 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 you just grab them because yeah. men are gone like that, you know. Yep. So you, you want to jump on it when it happens. And uh, I just, you know, I, I appreciate all the crap around me, you know, and it's it's fun sometimes just to grab something like that like i was just on i spent the summer on the road with uh touring with lyle lovett nice and uh, it was a ball buster we did 60 60 shows in 74 days wow uh, so it was a grind but i filmed every venue and put oh, it on nice. my youtube channel and interviewed all the people that worked in them and to me that that's really you're documenting historical moments Right. And the thing that was great was all the people because um, I, I, I can explain later about the YouTube thing, but um, it was it was one of these things that I basically took all the people on my channel on the road with me and oh. they got to see the backstage at every venue, you know, what the basements look like in old theaters and how old things, you know, old seats from the theater are piled up in dark catacombs. And and everybody just had the greatest time because it was like they they were on tour. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. nice, man. And that's yeah. a shared experience, like a real yeah. shared experience for them. Yeah, it was really I loved it. I'm going to continue. It makes me sorry I didn't start doing this years ago. Yeah. But but I'm, I'm learning, you know, I mean, I'm yeah. still learning. And yeah. uh, so, you know, I, I'm just going, this is great. I feel I, 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 I documented the film festivals we were just at and and took everybody along on that. And, and they're really appreciative. And it's not an ego thing. It's just fun to share. Exactly. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing, man. I feel like some people might think it is like, Oh my God, look at this guy wants a photo of himself and whatever's going on. And it's like, no, fuck that. It's like, this is nice to, what, do you remember what the impetus was to do it in the first place? Did you have somebody that inspired you to take photography stuff? Um, not really. I mean, it just sort of, you know, cause I used to drag, you know, you, you know, I used to drag cameras on the road with me and, and take somewhere in my house. I mean, I got probably like boxes of slides and all that uh, crap that, you uh, know, I don't, I don't have the time to start digging through all of that and, you know, and digitizing all of that. But there's um, an app for that now, by the way. Oh, I, it's easy. Yeah. You know, it's just it, it's just finding time. 
Is, oh, okay. Yeah. That's the, that's the problem too. Right. Yeah. You know, at this point in my life, I kind of thought I'd be, you know, out there in the past year mm-hmm. and, and I actually find myself busier than I've been in, you know, ever. Wow. So, you know, so, you know, I, I've got all these things that are on the back burner, you know, I'll get to that at some point, but sure. I may never get to it, you know, as long as I'm, you know, doing what I, it, everything I'm doing is still plan A. Oh, nice, man. Yeah. That's what, and what is the YouTube channel? Just so everybody out oh, there sure. knows too, can um, follow it. It's just Leland Sklar. Just go to, you know, pull up Leland Sklar. What have, how it happened was it was a total accident. We had finished Phil Collins's, um, not dead yet tour mm. uh, about it's been about five years ago, I guess. And time has turned into, you know, especially yeah. with, how, with COVID, everything kind of yeah. became surreal. Uh, but, but we, you know, we'd been out for almost two years on that tour. And I had guys at the end of the tour writing to me, bass players going, you know, we saw you in Germany or Brazil or wherever, like, and it was stadium gigs. And they'd say, you know, it sounded amazing, but we couldn't hear all the details. And I, so what I ended up doing was having Michel Collin, who was our front of house mixer, send me a board mix. I think it was our show from Adelaide. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so what I did was I, I put it in my laptop. I've got a little Bose speaker that I got plugged into the laptop and I have a bass amp right next to me. So what I did was I started with the first song of the show played that through the speaker, but I mixed it. You know, I filmed it all on my on my iPhone, just lean the iPhone. I actually I have a selfie stick and a C clamp hooked to the to, to the drawer. <laughs> Love I'm that so, man. So fucking low tech at some <laughs> I, I did the first song and so that the bass was a little louder than the track so they could hear exactly what I was playing. The second day I did the second song. Well by the third day I had people writing going, man, we love your YouTube channel. And I'm going, what are you talking about? <laughs> I really I was just trying to show some guys bass parts and next thing you know I've I've got I think 1118 videos up now um I finish I fin- I've got a I don't know 200 some thousand people on the channel um and um once I finished the show I kind of went I'm digging this but now what and so then I got into James Taylor and Jackson Brown. I put up Billy Cobham when we did Spectrum. So I played those songs, um, Hall and Oates. You know, so I started actually to have to address my history, which mm-hmm. I never, th- never have thought about. To me, everything what I think about is today and tomorrow. I never yeah. really think about the past. But all of a sudden, I've had to go into Discog and all these sites and look at my my history. So I, I've got a ton of things where I've played along, but there's a lot of things that the mo- in the studio at that moment can't be recreated sitting here. Right. Uh, you know, like Gene Clark's No Other. I mean, I've got on that track, I've got six bases on wow. it. Um, so what I did is I'm, I'm going to, I told the people, I'll be an audience with you. So I talk about who was on the dates, what studios we were at, the whole vibe of the thing. And mm-hmm. kind of just invite people into it. Today, I did Peter a uh, thing I did with Peter Gabriel, um, and it, it's really been great. I, and I formed a, a, a clubhouse there oh. where twice a month we we do a, a, a live stream, and then once a month I do one on ones with people. I spend one day doing Facetimes and Skypes with people. Wow. It's been fun, man. I you know because when co- and it's all really COVID related too. You know, yeah. you know it, it's like I had a a full date book that disappeared like a fart in the hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
so I, I kind of sat there and I went, what the, what the hell am I going to do now? So kind of all these things, the YouTube channel and the book, and I had never recorded at home before. Right. Ever. I never had a home studio and I had, uh, I would always, if somebody wanted me to do a, a track for them, I would, I have all these friends with home studios, which would give us an excuse to go have lunch. <laughs> you know, let me shoot you over the files. I'll come over, throw the bass on, then let's go get pizza or whatever. That's great. And, um, but with COVID couldn't do that. Everybody was really isolated. Right. We, we took it seriously and still do. Yes. Uh, it ain't gone. I know. But, um, I had a friend contact me and he said they want, he had a group of people and they wanted to do a cover of easy lover. And they said, would you play on it? And I said, man, uh, I would love to, but I'm not set up for home recording. Next thing you know, he knew somebody at SSL and they, they sent me. Oh, beautiful. So I got, I got that. I contacted uh, Steve Postel, who's one of the members of the immediate family, the band I'm in. And he gave me a tutorial through um, GarageBand, nice. and, I've, and I've done about 15 albums at home now. Oh, that's yeah. great, man. Do you like it better? No. Okay. Man, for me, being in a, in a room with other musicians yeah. is really the way to record. But, but I, I, would, I, I want to work and I want to play. So Sure. If, and and especially um, so many of the projects I've done have been uh, from Japan to New Zealand to Norway to Germany, you know, so th they wouldn't have been here anyhow. Right, right. Wow. So, but it's just been it's been interesting just to watch and, and participate in in things just to make yourself feel viable during a really unviable period of time. Absolutely, man. That's why this exists, because, yeah. you know, couldn't tour or do anything else. So this is what happened. Yeah, it's great. And I never thought I would continue to do it. We've talked about this a million times, I feel like, but it was one of those things where I don't want, I never, I never pictured myself behind a desk. I like being on the road. I like doing stand up. And now I'm just doing both, which is a lot. That's, but like, that's the hard part of this is like, I love what I built up during this period, but now mm -hmm. work's happening. So like, I'm now like stacked deep because I yep. don't want to stop this, but I, I'm doing it. So like out when I was out with Lyle, I was still, posting every day i was still people were sending me files and i'd sit in the hotel room and and do yeah. Basic, you know so, yeah you don't want to give this up because it really is fun yeah absolutely yeah. are you good with when you're dipping back into your past and like going through your memories and stuff like that is it come back to you as you look through your discography or do you find yourself calling people like did we do this in 1980 you know um for the most part i i don't look at this as as a virtue but i've never drank never did any drugs never did anything so i i have a pretty good clarity about nice. most most of what i've done um but i do find myself surprised sometimes i see myself on a project and i, and I don't remember it at all wow. and, and so i'm listening to it going oh yeah or sometimes the hard part for me is there's been a you know a number of albums where like maybe myself and abel boreal or bob glob you know, each of us has done like four tracks or something mm -hmm. on it, or however it's mixed up. And I don't want to take credit for somebody else's part because I only put my stuff. So I'm really sitting and scrutinizing, listening to right. an album going, is that me? I mean, I'm listening for like yeah. a little lick or something in there. Sure. And, and there's a bunch where I've either said, I'm, I can't, I can't post this because I really don't know. Or um, there's a lot of, um, things especially when you're dealing with some of the labels like warner brothers where uh they're blocked you yeah know, 
and, and I go to put something up and, and, and it immediately is taken off and it shocks me. I played on, I tried to put up It's Raining Men and <laughs> it was taken down and I had a great story for it and it was fun playing on it. And the minute I put it up, it was, it was blocked. I have no Damn. idea. So. Wow. And they're all different. Plat- that's the thing, man. Different platforms. I don't understand how anybody's supposed to keep up with their rules and regulations and what you can and can't post because there's shit I can find on Instagram to, to use to do stuff that I cannot find on like a TikTok or I can't find on one of the other things. And I'm like, who makes the yeah. final decision, you know? Yeah. What kind of an algorithm or, or whatever has been put in place to, to, to make these decisions yeah. for you? Well, we, go ahead. No, I was going to say we've had people on who've sung their song, yeah. their songs on here, and then I've gone to post it, and we've gotten flagged. And yeah. and because Chris Smithers, like, Chris Smithers, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had that problem with stuff that that bands I was in, and and I go to post our stuff, and it gets blocked. Unbelievable. And kind of, but it's once in a while you get lucky. Um, I, I one of the albums that I did years ago was called Waterfall with Carly Simon. Oh, and um, so, so I good. put up one of the tracks and it immediately got yanked. And I was lucky. I called Carly and told her. And she said, what the fuck? Are you kidding? <laughs> and called her manager who contacted, I think, Warner Brothers and told them to, uh, to unblock it. Oh, nice. So That's while, so great. Once in a while, David can beat Goliath. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, I was going to ask, because YouTube, when it flags you, it says... Do can do you have a reason for this? Do you have a write in like this is me in this band? <laughs> really, nobody to talk to. It's like Facebook or any of those things. There really yeah. is no humanity in any of these things. Right. You're, to me, you're just wasting your time, um, and and it really pisses me off because uh, when I look at what I do, I can't monetize my channel yeah. for the most part because everything's copyright protected. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing the job that that the label should be doing because I've had so many people when I've posted things going, I've never heard of this artist before. I just went back and bought their catalog. Wow. You know, and, and the label's sitting around jerking off, doing nothing for them. Yeah. And, and I'm kind of going, and you're blocking me for for putting money in your pocket. I mean, right. I just none of it makes any sense. But when I talk to people, you know, like new artists and stuff, I, I always tell them, I said, if you make it in this business, generally you make it in spite of the label, not because of the label. Right. That there's so many people that make stupid decisions, uh, you know, at labels. And now, is, of course, um, so much stuff is, is indie and um, oh yeah, you know, and privately financed. And I mean, it's it's so chaotic at this yeah. point. Can I tell you one of my uh, please? Just thank you. One of my like just transgressions, I think, with you know, one of the things I found doing this show is that I genuinely love the people and the guests that I have. I have no overhead, obviously. There's nobody telling me who I can and can't have on anything like that. So the yeah. people, the guests that I have on, I'm fans of. I really admire. I like them, Tom, and I enjoy who they are and, as, you know, as people. Um, so I want to do a good job, you know, yeah. when, they're, when they're presented. The same way, like you said, you're doing the job of the label. It's yeah. crazy to me how many people on top in the position, whether it's a comedy manager or whatever the hell it is, that don't give a fuck about the art or the artist or anything like that. And I know that's kind of naive to say, but I yep. even find it frustrating when I'm trying to, to, to display this show and the guests we have where I'm like, Oh, this person had a really good, um, you know, philo- philosophical point about this in their life and yada, yada. And they're like, Oh, what are your numbers? How are, how are you going viral? What do you do? Like, is it clickbait? And it's just like, but they're really talented. <laughs> like, like they, you don't understand. They don't care. 
No. I remember overhearing a couple of executives mm-hmm. one time talking, and and they were saying what nuisances musicians can be. Wow. You know, and I've 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 told people this before. I said, at the end of the day, I'll go stand on a corner with my bass and then have a record executive stand next to me and see whose cup gets filled first. <laughs> oh my God. You know? I love that. Yeah. I that's mean, it's, just, but that's the way I felt during the pandemic too, man. When the, yeah. when the pandemic, when I noticed that there were comedy clubs getting shutting down left and right and not like there were some great ones that I love dearly and I miss and they were good. But then there were these other ones that, you know, they couldn't survive. And I was like, well, that's what happens because all your thing, you, you just have a building. You have an empty space. The only yep. thing that makes it a comedy club or an entertainment venue is us. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And I was hoping they would learn a lesson and they have not. No. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll you, it's interesting. Lessons learned. I remember being in New York. God, when was the big, huge blackout that lasted like 20? Oh, I forget what year that was. Yeah, me too. But it was like, what, 24? God. No, it, it was like in in the, the oh, 1980s or oh that one yeah that, that was like that was the huge yeah that was yeah. like the first huge huge blackout that like people were going kind of nutty. Yes, yeah, so I was I was working in New York when that happened. Actually, I was sitting in um, a theater seeing Dick Sean's one man show. Wow! And when the lights went off, he kind of goes, oh, "Be careful when you go out." And then the emergency lights come on, and he goes, "Be careful when you go out." And it's pitch black outside. And we're all, I mean, his show was so insane that we're kind of going, yeah, whatever. And then you walk, the, you walk outside, Manhattan's pitch black, <laughs> car headlights. And, and, but in the hotel, I, I think we were staying at the Essex house, like on the 39th floor or something. And, you know, having to go up and down the stairs because there's no elevator. And, he, and then you discover that there isn't the same number of stairs between every floor. And you're, oh. so you suddenly think you've reached the top. And you have there's another step in your stone. But the thing that would blew my mind was people like were opening their doors, going, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" Everybody was really concerned for each other. The minute the lights came on, everybody slammed their doors shut. No communication. It's wow. just, the human creature can be a pretty odd little uh, thing. Everyone, you know, when you watch. Absol- Totally. And that's the thing. That's like anytime there's like a thing like a pandemic or, you know, a, God forbid, a terrorist attack, or whatever it is. We have yeah. this little window of, hey, how are you? Are you doing all right? What's this? You, you know, community. And then as soon as like the lights come back on, we're like, fuck Go you, ahead. guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get out. Your, your tree is on my lawn. You know, whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. Well, my manager just texted me. It's 1977 was the blackout. Uh huh. He remembers. He was there. It was um, I mean, he might have been, I have no idea, but yeah, it's crazy, man. I think that's kind of funny. And that's, I, I don't know, I guess we're there already after the, I mean, we didn't, it didn't last that long during the pandemic, but it did strike me somewhat familiar of like, you know, when I was, cause when, when nine 11 happened, I was a kid, I was in, yeah. I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. And, uh, and that was like a very weird time, but I also remember people being unusually fucking kind for about a month. Yeah, I mean, everybody's looking at each, watching each other's backs, making sure everybody's okay because it was emotionally so yeah. destructive, even beyond the actual destruction. But the yeah. emotional, dis- but yeah, it, people start to forget all that stuff, and the next thing you know, here we are in this insanity now. So, yeah, what do you what do you think of? I mean, like, do you ever? I mean, I know we talked a little bit about social media and stuff like that, and the TikToks or whatever. But do you find it as a musician? Do you ever think like, oh, if I was starting today, what I would do? Like, 
uh, or, or do you try not to even bother with that kind of shit? Well, I'm not sure I, I, I could even comprehend mm. uh, what it's like to start now. Right. Uh, I've been at it for so long and the blueprint that w formed my career doesn't exist anymore. Um, you know, so like when I, if I do a master class or, you know, clinics, um, uh, one of the hard things is I get, you know, young players, you know, it's like when you're dealing with MI out here or Berkeley or, you know, different schools like that, you know, there are monstrous players and, and uh, gifted, but the, the, to me, the thing that they're not taught is you graduate on Friday. What's Monday look like? Right. Uh, and because th there's, there's, so little of what I, man, when, when I started, the, la the labels were powerful. You kind of knew you were going to get fucked when you were with them, but they had a machine in place to get stuff on the radio, to get distribution and all that mm. stuff. I work on unbelievably great records now. And the next thing after I'm, I'm done with it, I get a call from like the artist or their manager or something going, any idea who we could talk to about Wow. That? You know, because they're all indie stuff and they really the music for them is the easy part. It's how, sure. do you, how do you get people to hear it? And sometimes I'll say to them, I go, you know, when I'm doing those, I go, it's so easy. When they ask me, I go, look, at you go out to the garage, get your dad's tools and you build a time machine and you said, <laughs> oh, you can't do that. Oh, sorry, I can't help you. Right. It's it's but you don't want to discourage people. Um, right from this. And, and I always kind of equated to like the Powerball or one of those things where they say, you know, the odds of you winning are 180 million to one. And the next day on TV, there's some knucklehead holding the big, you know, cardboard check and they've won. So yeah. <laughs> people are going to succeed in this business. That that's, yeah. Music is always going to be there, but the business side of it is difficult. And that's what it's hard for me to really comprehend what what, what young musicians, uh, and not even necessarily young, there's a lot of people in midlife that have like left their careers, they're done with it, and they want to do music. Yeah. Uh, but giving them uh, encouragement to be the best you can be, but tempering that with the, with the reality that it's really hard. Yeah. This, I mean, I've never let up for one second this business. Um, I, I think about it all the time, and every time that phone rings, I'm giddy. Yeah, I'm so thrilled to get a get a work call. That's a great attitude, though, man. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's 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 the, one of the greatest joys in life is doing this, mm -hmm. and and not only the music itself, but the community that that is built around uh, music. All the musicians that I've worked with over the years, and the artists, and uh, the the travel that's come with it, and seeing the world. I mean, to me, this is one of the greatest gifts I could have ever asked for, and wow. uh, I. I sort of pinch myself every day, which which I would probably do anyhow because I kind of dig it. Um, <laughs> but um, but you know, it's it's a really you know wonderful wonderful life, you know. And and the idea that things are busy you know, right now, I'm I'm busy through next year. Yeah, you know? yeah. and I'll be I'm turning seventy six. You know, wow. so I look at all the old old cats out there you look at you know jagger and all these guys that are out working and mccartney's still out there and stuff and you go there is yeah. no there's no cutoff date for no. this the only cutoff date is if you're your inability to, to do it to 100 i just went to so uh we had stephen page from the bare naked ladies on uh -huh. um uh and he we just he we hit it off and he wound up inviting me out to see him open for the who Great. so 
went and I took my mom and we went to UBS um, uh, arena in Queens and I'd never been there before. Great, great little arena. Um, but I'd never seen the who live before. I cannot believe that they're 77 and 78 and they sound, they are, cr- they, they, they blew the fucking roof off the place. Yeah. Like, and they had this full orchestra. Um, um, and for Baba O'Reilly, they had this one. Oh my God, I'm, I feel bad. I'm going to forget her name. Um, this woman come out with a violin and kind of rock out with it. Like just the whole thing. And they, they sound that there's, yeah, you're right. There's no cutoff date. It was really kind of encouraging because they were having a blast. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're amazing. The only thing that saddens me is, is when we lost Ant Whistle. Oh, I mean, yeah. you know, they've, they've had great guys like Pino played with them and yeah, you know, different, different cats, you know, have worked with them, but you know, John was, was a voice unto himself right. on that instrument. So when you start to lose some of these guys, it's, 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 it's like one of the nicest people I ever worked with in this business. And he's in my book is, was Charlie Watts. Oh, yeah. I love wow. playing with him, you know, and, and suddenly he's gone. And man, Steve Jordan kicks ass. Steve yeah. Jordan's unbelievable. But, you know, when you start to see these guys that are so iconic start to go, it's uh, it's it's tough sometimes. You, know, do you, do you How do you choose to process that kind of stuff when it happens? When it do, do you do, do you kind of leave yourself a bit of time every year to kind of remember them, pay tribute or do you just move on or um, a little of all of that? I mean. You know, I feel there's a part of me that goes, man, they they got to do what they loved, mm-hmm. you know, you know, so, man, you know, nothing better than, man, if you could just drop on stage and be done, it'd be <laughs> fantastic. Um, you know, I so I, I feel I, I feel a sense of loss with mm-hmm. so many, um, but so many of them at this point are, are older. Uh, the, the, the hard stuff to process was losing people like Jeff Picaro when he was still in his 30s. Oh, yeah. You know, in, you know Hendrix in his 20s, because one of my favorite guitar players I ever worked with was Tommy Bolin. Oh, and, wow. And uh, Tommy was, I think, 28 when he died. Right. Uh, and I knew him from Zephyr days. And then when we did Cobham's Spectrum album together, um, you know, so, I mean, there, there, there's a bittersweet side to, to loss with all these people. Yeah. But, uh, but if they're like, an, you know, one of the older cats, I go, man, you've had a great run. And, yeah. Yeah. I just, I just always hope that it's, it was quick and, and painless and and they just you know went to sleep and didn't wake up kind of agreed man it, it, this may be kind of morose but isn't it kind of you ever, you ever think like it's crazy that they either musicians or any kind of talented people either either wind up going at 27 28 i know 27 is like the magic number or they're like mccartney and the other guys you you know and they go into their they're well into their 70s like you and everybody else like who is just crushing it you know yeah. what i mean like is it i mean i don't no there's why not I a lot of middle. There's not a lot of middle ground no. or at least that I'm aware of. Right. It's the yeah. cre- I don't know what it is, man. Well, I think it's some some of its lifestyle because it's yeah. it's not an easy lifestyle. There's a lot of pitfalls that Keith Richards. Like, he's yeah. still kicking. I mean, <laughs> well, I was gonna say, and it's also you stay moving like an object yeah. in motion. Like you are incredible. I feel like you are better with social media and stuff than we are. Right. Oh God, yeah. You have us by a couple of years. The fact and that he was like my YouTube page, I was like, oh God, could you help us? Because we <laughs> yeah, are posting every day. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm posting shorts. I got nothing. I don't know what's going on. Well, you know, the, the fun part for me was that I, I I've done it with no intent. Mm, it just yeah. kind of accidentally happened. It's completely. I, I talk with Rick Beato about that, you know, because he's a good friend, and you know, and it's like we laugh because you you, know, you see so many that have like 
great, you know, I, I think at one point I joked and I said, oh, maybe I'll get a green screen and put some cool shit behind me. And everybody was going, don't change your thing. Don't touch your thing. And I was just joking with them. But right. and the only thing that I've put up every once in a while is I've got a great shot of Ray's pizza. I mean, Joe's Joe's pizza. And I'll put that up just to to Jones myself out. Just going. God, That's great right now. But, um, you know, I, to me, I, I just keep this all as, as simple and, and easy as possible and, and try to keep it all really natural. Mm. And, and, and it's just been I just enjoy it. You know, I've never been I was the last guy to get a computer of all the guys I knew. Everybody would say, you got to get one, man. You'll be on it all day. And I said, you just said the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be on it all day. I, I use I use my stuff when I need it. And then I live my life away from it. Right. And I have lots that I and, like. Uh, that's the way to go, man. Uh, you know, what's cool about the, that you've got this new documentary coming out. And I don't know if you made the connection, but you seem to be. And I don't know if you realize this as you were even making it. You, you're kind of your own documentarian. You know what I mean? Like you've, you've pieced together all this stuff, especially with the photos. Now the YouTube page, you're going through canonically through your history. And now you're actually being the subject of a documentary. Are you like, are you are you kind of directing it as you're going though? You know what I mean? Like, are you kind of like trying to piece it together too? No, no. But I'm, I, you know, I've had a, over the years, I've had so many people contact me saying, you know, you need to do a book. You know, mm -hmm. I, I did this book, but you know, it's not, it's not my history. It's not all this. Right. And and I went, I really have no desire uh, to ever do a book that doesn't interest me in the least. But I've kind of realized that with the YouTube channel. And all that, I'm doing a book, but I'm doing like a, a audio video book. I'm really, and, and it's, and it's, I'm addressing the things that I would want to talk about, not necessarily the things a publisher would want to be reading. Right. They're looking more for, you know, other aspects of your career that I would not be sharing. Right. Because, because what there's, there's, there's a one side of this that that's very public and there's the other side of our lives when you're on the road with all your friends and stuff like that, that you, know, you lived in that moment and it's not the kind of stuff you're going to be sharing in a book. Sure, so yeah. it's been kind of nice just to have this, whether anything comes of it or not, I don't know, but what it, uh, one of the gigs I'm hoping comes back um, that we did every year, it's called, we write the songs and it's an, it's for ASCAP, the music publishing people. And it's at the library of Congress. Wow. wow. And we would do it every year. And what they would do is um, bring in like maybe six or eight um, songwriters. And it's really basically petitioning the government to maintain protections for you know copyright and all that. So, but they would bring in like, you know, Randy Newman, Hart, um, <laughs> Lyle Lovett, so good. you name it. I mean, it would be, you know, a whole, a whole bunch of people. And, and I was part of the house band that would wow. do it and what they would do is talk about the process and then we would do a couple of songs with each of them and it's the best gig but because of covid uh, it hasn't happened for a few years but i became friends with the woman who uh, runs the library of congress mm -hmm. and i was thinking if it happens again I, I might ask her if she would like me to donate all my videos uh, oh to wow that they could have it tucked away if somebody ever wanted you know to come back and look at the stuff uh, it would be nice just to have it, you know, somewhere where it would be available. That's yeah, very sweet, forever. man. Yeah. So we'll it's see what happens with that. 
that's another thing about artists too, man. I find that uh, when I talk to a lot of my friends and anybody else who's either a musician or comic or whatever, is that it, there's this thing at a certain point where you're wondering what you're leaving behind. Mm -hmm. And I, and the, uh, Sean Rao is a, is a good friend. He's been on the show. I don't know if you know, he is a great, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's got that song to leave something behind. And I think about it every time I'm making something, it just gets like lodged in my brain and it's a beautiful song and it's just like, but it's true. Yeah. You, it's, it's legacy. You know, mm -hmm. and, and you want and we're we're fortunate in, in any of these kind of fields, be, you know, be it an actor, you know, a film actor or whatever, or musicians that there is a physical legacy that you're leaving behind that people can listen to or watch. You know, I mean, it was just I was just watching a bunch of Sam Kinison the other day. You know, I mean, I was yeah. thinking there's moments where I just wish I had that voice and that attitude where I, I'd like to be in a situation and get in somebody's face and let that out. <laughs> um, but the, you know, there's so many of those, those people that, you know, they're gone, but they're right there available. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty cool thing, but I don't make any conscious effort or thought about it. You know, I think that every time I, I work on something, there's, there's legacy there because it's, it, it's committed to, to the media. Mm -hmm. uh, that it, that it exists and whether or not anybody chooses to ever check it out or not, that's a whole other thing. But there's people of incredible value in this world that really don't have that kind of a legacy. They may have been like the best plumber in town yeah, you know, yeah. And, and loved everything. And there's maybe a bunch of houses that have the best copper plum, you know, you know, piping anywhere, you know, mm -hmm, but yeah. nobody's really going to know that. Right. You know? So, so I, I feel lucky that on that level that what I've done uh, is available. And when mm. I'm when I'm no longer here, hopefully, you know, there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff I worked on that other generations will go back and listen to. In the same way, our generations go back and listen to everything from Mozart to to you know Harry James to you know the, the Thelonious Monk. Mm -hmm. the, throughout all the generations, there's people going back and discovering the history of what we do and. Be yeah, nice to be a part of that. You're, so you you reminded me of a lyric that I love when you were talking about Sam Kinison and kind of having those guys around. And I kind of wonder just because because you, you're you're somebody who's you know socially aware. You understand what's going on. You're leaving a lot behind. You feel like you want to do well with your art and other people's art and, and get it recognized. Stuff. The the lyric is a uh, uh, Graham Nash song, and it says, um, "We needed a savior and buyer behavior. The ones that are worth it are gone." Do mm -hmm. you guys who are, are still around look at each other like, we're it, man. We got to hold this shit up on our own. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, when we kind of look around, we just kind of go, man, are we lucky? Nice. <laughs> you, yeah. know, you know, when with this band, the immediate family that I'm in, um, you know, it's the guys I've been playing with for 52 years. Yeah. And when we were when I'm standing on stage or in the studio and I look next to me and there's Russ Kunkel next to me. And I just kind of, we both grin at each other like a couple of Cheshire cats, you know, it's, it's like, you know, to, to still be doing this, you know, the, you know, this far in it. And, and the thing is, we're not a nostalgia band. It's not like a band that had hits in the eighties and you're on the road doing your eighties hits. We got, we're yeah. just finishing a, a new album now. That's some of the best stuff we've ever done. Nice. And so we're, it's still writing, still creating. We got gigs coming up. And like I said, we've got this documentary movie that Danny Tedesco's done, who did mm. the Wrecking Crew movie. Yeah. So the thing I'm excited about more than anything is that we're still moving forward. We haven't 
stopped and we're not reflecting on our past in our show we'll we throw in some songs that we we've done with artists in the past that we recorded with them or wrote um but most of the stuff is going to be all new material that the audience hasn't heard before sweet it's really fun and i you know i i like i said man i it's so exciting every day to be a part of what we do I, I think so much of your appeal too is that you're so. Somebody said in the chat as well, you're so grateful for every day because, and you you're seeing all of the good everywhere. I think that's so tremendous. Well, I think you know the thing that drives me crazy is is our time here is really goes quick. I mean, yeah. when I close my eyes and and I look back, there's a you know you, there's a part of me that I can remember distinctly things I was doing like when I was a teenager, and. Yeah. And all of a sudden you, you blink and here you are at the tail end of everything. And it went so fast and you see how many people kind of piss it away, either themselves or they're in circumstances that are, are horrible. When I sit there and I look at the people in Ukraine and what uh. they're dealing with every day. And, and, and I look at people on the streets of LA living, you know, tent cities all over the place and stuff. And you go, man, you're, there's this finite amount of time you've got and 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 so many aren't having any joy in it at all yeah and yeah. so i try to you know just tr try to maintain a positive attitude about things and and uh and and it's not like i'm i'm I, i'm not naive i mean i have shit days like everybody else and all that yeah but everybody's got this so that's not what you want to be sharing yes you, know, you, you really want to just try to be somewhat uplifting if you can without seeming totally obnoxious you know right, yeah. everything is in kumbaya and uh patchouli oil no it's true but you know what's funny <laughs> me and my wife say it all the time like everybody's dealing with something we never know what yeah. they're dealing with but yeah, you're yeah like, exactly it's what you choose to focus on right so if you choose to focus on that gorgeous i, I loved that you said like you capture the clouds for that moment i recently and i'm not young i'm in my 40s have like i'll be driving like that is a gorgeous sky. Like I never took the time to notice a gorgeous sky because mm. you were always caught with life like hitting you, right? Yeah. So now I feel like a lot of people need to hear that so that hopefully they capture those fleeting, incredible moments that we all get, but sometimes we just choose not to see. Well, it's like the old the old thing: stop and smell the roses. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's times where you just need to just stop, decompress, you know, kind of recharge your batteries and appreciate what's going on around you rather than just, you know, having your tail in your mouth and spinning around in a circle all the time. <laughs> yeah. I can turn the light on here. I'm just gonna... the... yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's starting to get that. I love, I love when we have a guest that's somewhere else in the country. Cause when the sun starts to set on one end, it's always kind of fun. They're like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I got, when you were talking about your new band and stuff like that, you're working with them and plus all the stuff you've done before. I'm curious as far as, when you have your own band, you're in control of what it sounds like, what the production end of it is, you know, how good something is, whether you want to go back. Are you good at when you're in a session band and you're listening to something that comes out later without your approval? Maybe you're like, Ooh, wouldn't have done it that way. Like, are you good at going? That's how they wanted it. That's the sound they wanted. And you, and you leave, like, are you, yeah, I, l I let go. You know, I mean, when, when the, when the date's over, if I leave and they're happy, I'm right. happy. Um, okay. There's a lot of times like I've done sessions where like they've got a, a an idea like they've they've got demoitis, you know, they've stayed at home, you know, they've worked on their shit for you know a year and right. then they, you come in. Um where I'll I'll do exactly what they want, but if there's enough time I I might, you know, say, how about let me take another pass at it and 
let me try something else and see what you think. And uh, and it's one of those things that they might go, Jesus, thank you. And I love that part. Or they might say, look, I'm really happy with what we've got. And uh, and I go, cool. As long as you're happy, that's all that matters. And I remember I was there's a uh, a whole bunch of us that are like the advisory board in uh, in in bass player magazine. I don't even know because it just stopped its its print thing. It's only online now. Um, Such a bummer, man. Yeah, it sucks. But. Um, they had one thing, one column that they would do. I think it was called like Ask the Experts. And it was somebody would pose a question on it. And then they would have all the different bass players who are on the advisory board um, respond. And one of the on one of the issues, the question was, if you could go back and change anything you've done, what would you change? And uh, and I was reading like all these different guys going in all these diatribes about, you know, I was on this thing and I would... And it got to my name and it said nothing (laughs) because what was right at that moment was right. Now I might listen to something I recorded in 1974 with how I play now and the way I think now, I might not have come up with that, that part if I was cutting that song today, but in 1974, that seemed to be exactly what was needed. And, uh, and I, and I let it go. The, the, The thing that maybe is frustrating for me at times is as the as a bass player, you're usually there at the very inception of a song. So when you're recording, it might be you know maybe the artist plays acoustic guitar and there's a guitar player on the date. Myself, drums, maybe keyboards, and so we cut the track. Well, I'm not there for maybe horns and strings and all the overdubs that are going to go on. And sometimes I've heard things where I go, man, if I'd have known they were adding all that, I wouldn't necessarily have played that part. But not knowing what's coming sure. I was playing what was right for that moment or other times where I'm thinking they're going to add a bunch of shit to it. And then, uh, and then I listen and I go, actually, they didn't put any, they, they, they abandoned the idea where I could have actually maybe committed a little bit more in, into the song. So right. you, you kind of never know because everything you do is, is in that, in the moment. And uh, nice. But, but, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I really, I kind of let the, at the end of the day, you want the artist happy. I mean, yeah. I, I, I might walk in and they're, and they're going to sing and play a thing for me. And in the back of my head, I'm going, this is horrible. This is really, I mean, it is, you know, there's people that, especially in, in, in this day and age, there are people that wouldn't have been signed to a label but right. it's all indie stuff now. So they might have somebody who's a friend that's willing to, you know, sink some money into some sessions for them. Sure. Yeah. But the thing is, I will, I will work as hard for them as I would for Phil Collins or anybody um, because you have two, two choices when that phone rings. And if you say yes, it comes with commitment and you go in and you do the best job you can. Now you might walk out of it going, oh God, thank God I'm out of there. <laughs> and the worst part that is, is sometimes I've walked out and you think this is the worst piece of shit and it's a hit. Yeah. <laughs> and you walk out other times where you're going, this is like, oh, man, I can't believe how great that was. And it doesn't even get released and it's sitting on a shelf somewhere never to be heard. So right. it, it runs the whole gamut. You know, yeah. that's, that's the exciting part of it is the uncertainty. Every day you're reinventing something. It's not like you're working at GM, you know, Mm-hmm. assembling a, a brake caliper or something like that every day. Right. Yeah, I mean, anytime I walk in the studio, 
most of the time I have no idea what the what style of music it's going to be, who I'm working for, anything like that. You walk in, and you don't you don't have the luxury of failure, mm. because they've booked time. Time is expensive. Maybe that's the only time they're ever going to get. And you can't just kind of go, oh, I don't, not feeling it. Maybe uh, let's go <laughs> and come back tomorrow. Right. You, you've got to come up with the goods. And that's the hardest part of the gig. And that's the most exciting part of the gig. Yeah. You, you seem like the type of person who never phones it in. Like, no, never, never. Right. I mean, if you start doing that, you may as well quit. At right. That point, let somebody who gives a shit take over. Yeah. Yeah. Is, what what you, is the, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, so you've worked on so many things. We have some people in the, in our audience that are saying, like, oh, I do have a world record. You're on so many different tracks. Is Over there 2,000, right? 2,600. I've been a, about 2,600 albums. Amazing. Amazing. Is there any song that you... <laughs> Is there any song that you hear, like, it would be a huge hit, you hear it consistently? And just knowing that you're a part of it, it would resonate with you? Um, you know, I'm not good at judging things like that. It's always kind of in hindsight. I remember like when, when still one of my favorite albums I ever worked on was, was Billy Cobham's Spectrum. And we did the whole album in two days. It's basically one or two takes of each song. And it was just brutal, raw energy. And uh, I left there you know, kind of going, man, that was really fun, I guess. I, it was like so intense. But if I walk into a studio at this point, anywhere in the world, and I start going, man, guys jump all over it. I mean, it's as fresh today as it was back then. But, you know, the thing for me that's been great is that I, I've worked in every genre pretty much. So, you know, there's, there's songs that were in, in, in country idiom, that I love when I would work with Vince Gill or Reba or any of those people. And then I would work on hip hop records and I'd work on fusion stuff. And, um, you know, I'd get called for like, and the thing that's really interesting is working with artists from all over the world. So you would be working with like, I would work with Anna Vesey, who's like the Madonna of Greece. Right. He really knows who she is. I'd work with Yuming Matsutoya, who's like, one of the biggest artists in Japanese history. And I've done 26 albums with her um, since the seventies. People don't know who that is. And all these, you know, Argentinian and Brazilian artists. And so, so it's really been interesting. Some of the stuff I've loved working on people in the States have never even heard of these artists. Um, Veronique song is uh, she's like the Joni Mitchell, Carol King of, of France. And I've known the first time I worked with her was in the early 70s when she was married to Stephen Stills. Wow. wow. But man, when I she's still touring over there, still packing, you know, venues. I remember I had friends that were uh, going to Paris and they were playing the Olympia, which is like the big, the old, really prestigious hall in, mm -hmm. in Paris. And they said, man, we sold out two nights there, man. It's like unbelievable. And when I was there with Vera, we did 26 nights. Wow. Oh, like people here if i had said her name they'd go a few people that you know in the french community would know but for the yeah. most part that you know they don't so it's that's been really one of the fun parts is just really kind of uh just traveling through countries and genres and, and all of that uh has, has kept it all really fresh and exciting because i never know what's coming would you say that overseas maybe they treat because you know how 
basically artists to a certain extent you said there's a lot of tracks that are really great that don't get made would you say the music industry is also the same overseas and they treat them the same way like if you're not like charting every day or whatever or do you think there's more of an appreciation for um, i think there's a loyalty overseas it's like when i was because uh, i did uh two long big tours with toto and toto. yeah you know, and we're over, we'd, we'd show up in a little town in Finland and it would be like 20,000 people show up. And then we'd come back to the States and they would, they, we'd be opening for Rick Springfield. <laughs> you know, I mean, and not to deny Rick, I love Rick. Right. Rick's great too, but I mean, I know what you mean. There's a thing, you know, that you just kind of look at and you go, it's, it's just weird. But in terms of the, the music business, um, I generally don't have anything to do with it. I mean, I play, but I have nothing to do. So I really don't know how the businesses are, are being run in Germany or France or Italy right. or Japan or anything like that. You know, I just always found it fascinating that there's like those guys overseas really want to come here and they think and they, and they love it here or whatever. Or like I find, you know, we'll have guests. On, do you know Frank Turner? Yeah. OK, so Frank was talking about like the lack of maybe appreciation at home in the beginning to going to the States and getting this kind of huge response and then going back home even with even when we had um uh no hogan no hogan from uh, cranberries on same shit as soon as they made it here they get off the bus they're back home and they're like we've loved you forever and he's like the fuck you have like you know it's weird jimmy hendrix jimmy wow. hendrix couldn't get arrested here and he went to england and became you know and then when he came back he was jimmy hendrix but right you know, when yeah. he's here he's you know it's like he was like a side man yeah it's I mean, so weird. Yeah, it's weird, and, and 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 there's so much, there's so much more to 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 the business to making it in this business than your just your abilities. There's timing. There's there's connections. There's so many things, and yeah. and location. I remember um, my wife had an antique shop, and where I we live in Pasadena, and the woman who it was one of those antique malls where everybody had their own little space in it, and yeah. the woman who had. Um, the, the one next to her, she told, I was talking to her one day and she said, I think it was her nephew or somebody. She's going, um, he's out in the Midwest and, and he's, they're forming a band. And would you talk to him and give him some sagely advice and all this? And I went, yeah, shit, I'll be happy to anything I can say. So I called him up and we talked for a couple of hours and it, it, it turned out to be Peter Buck and they were forming REM. Oh my wow. God. And, and you know, you, you just never know. You know, they, how many bands were probably in that area that right. was local or nothing happened. And I remember bumping into him years later and he went, man, thanks for, you know, all the advice you gave me. And I went, fucking, I was in your band. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you just, you just don't know, you know, what's going on, but there, there's, I mean, I've heard, I remember being uh, in uh, uh, Denver, and um, this was back in the 70s. And we had done a gig at Red Rocks or something like that and went into wow. Old Town and there was a club and there was a band that was killing in this club. And it was like about maybe a 12 or 13 piece like R&B show band almost. And the guy who was playing B3 was a state gymnastics champion. And when he took his solo, his left hand, he grabbed the edge of the B3 and pressed into a handstand and played his solo doing a handstand on the organ. Oh and my God. it was all over. I, I went up to talk to these guys and I said, John Blee, I said, have you thought about, you know, moving out doing it? And they said, no. He said, we've got this, we are like the top, the band in this town. We're home every night with our families. And I went, 
great. <laughs> great. I mean, that's right. so cool that they were they were making a good living doing what they did. They were happy. They weren't ready to jump into the bullshit of the whole business and stuff. And so you never know what's out there. You yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's, it's it's a joy and go, wandering down, you know, through Dublin and hearing oh. musicians out on the streets, they're busking and you're just right down, you know, going to New York and go down here, some people in the in the subway and you're just going yeah. Holy shit. You have to stop sometimes. I mean, more oh, than absolutely. not, more than you just like, I, I got to listen to this. Uh, you speak, speaking of Devlin, there was a, um, God, a few years ago, I stumbled upon a band that I had no idea existed. And I was like, Oh my God, they sound, you know, you know, the silencers, you ever heard of them? No, they were around the same time as you too. And apparently they, and they, the reason why I thought this sounds familiar, why the fuck haven't I heard this song? It's because they sounded similar. The lead singer sounded similar to Bono. Okay, just took off and then blew them at, almost out of existence. Yeah, and it like, but they still hung around and did their thing, and they were fine. They kind of stayed where they are. But I find that like now, I just want to know like what else did I miss? Because not that you two isn't isn't great, but it's just like you know well, when these other bands rise, man. It's like what well, what am I missing? For every U two, there's probably another hundred bands that don't get that break that are as good. Yeah, I mean, you mm -hmm. sit there and, you, and I'll listen. You know, and I really like him, and he's and he's great. And everybody listen to Garth Brooks, and I go, mm. great. You know, he's selling out arenas, like twelve nights in you know in an arena, doing basically a Who show. You know, smashing guitar right. and all that. And you think, how many other guys have that same voice and everything that aren't getting arrested? They're out, you know, doing little club gigs, or you know, they can't even get that. Yeah. And yeah. not to put him down, there's there's a there's a finite amount of slots at the top. And yeah. then there's like all these other levels of things. And, and, you, and it's like, I'm, we find this with our band. Um, if you look at the pedigree of what we've all done, the maybe a billion records worth of sales amongst all of us with Wadi Wachtel and Russ Kunkel and Danny Korchmar, you know, there's that, but when we're going out on the road, we're playing, you know, small venues, you know, that are maybe 250 seats and all that. Yet we come off of like Waddy's out right now with Stevie Nicks. He's her, right. he's been her MD forever, you know, so they're out there in a private jet and playing all these big venues and stuff. And then he comes back and we're playing, you know, like the Canyon Club and things like that. So right. who you are doesn't necessarily translate into things we're still like a band that's in a, you know, we're a bunch of old guys in a sprinter van, you yeah. know, doing the thing, you know, but it's what we love doing. So yeah, we're enjoying it. So you, for all those U2s, there's all these other bands that are out just, you know, just out there on right. the weekends driving around and, you know, and playing clubs and packing their own gear and, you know, yeah. CDs and t-shirts and all that. And it's funny to think how many of these legacy bands came back after COVID that were not touring at all. And all of a sudden they were like, we can get, there's a demand, there's nostalgia. We can get back on the road. Yeah. It's great. It's what it is. I mean, it's wonderful for anybody that can do music and, and, and make a living if possible. Yeah. It, I mean, the, the ideal thing is to have this pay your bills because then you can focus on this. You don't have to have another job or two to pay your bills, which takes time away from making what you want to really want to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, it's very fortunate if you find yourself in that situation where this can actually cover, you know, your, your expenses in life. Yeah. 
I, I need to know. So yeah. I feel like, are you, I feel like you're like Samuel Jackson that never says no to something. Do you take everything when the phone rings? Yep. I'll, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. yeah. The only, the only thing to me, the thing is if it re, if I do it and it really sucks or I've been burned or anything, then if that person ever calls again, I just say no, but yeah. you never know what's around the corner. You right. know? And so I was, I was saying the only reason I wouldn't do something is if it's a conflict of schedule and I'm already busy. Right. Yeah. If I'm if I'm available, I show up and it doesn't matter. I mean, it was really funny that this friend of mine contacted me and he said this friend of his was turning 60 and he was having a birthday party at his house. And he said, would you come and play? And we put a band together it was Vinnie Caliuta was playing drums and Mike Finnegan on keyboards and all these guys. We put together a band that had just like been on the road with like Phil Collins and Sting. People had no real clue what was going on. We did all <laughs> we were both playing top 40 shit, had a had a great time, had a nice meal, and the guy paid wow. us, you know, a couple of hundred bucks. And it was just we had a ball. So, you know, it's like whatever's going on, you know, it just it's fun to be with your friends and play music. Yeah. I absolutely love that. I feel like you are like I have a different. I'm not a musician, but it's the same. I'm a yes man. Like I, you ask me, hey, could you do this? If I'm not doing something else, why wouldn't I do that, right? Yeah. And you never know who's going to be there that you might meet. Yeah. That I mean, when when I met, I mean, really, my career, I I owed a James Taylor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in a band in the late '60s called Wolfgang, which was really a, a an unbelievably great hard rock band, and. Um, we were called Wolfgang because Bill Graham was our manager and Bill Graham's real name was Wolfgang. So uh-huh. what better way to suck up to your manager than right. name it? <laughs> uh, there was uh, our drummer Bugs Pemberton uh, had just come over from England and he was in Jackie Lomax and the Undertakers who were really kind of not rivals, but they were contemporaries of the Beatles over there. And Jackie Lomax was like a matinee idol. He was like one of these beautiful guys that, you know, oh. just nobody else looked like this dude. And, uh, but so Bugs w- was our drummer and he had a friend named John Fishbeck who owned Crystal Recording Studios here in, on Vine Street in Hollywood. And, and he did all the early Stevie Wonder records. He did, you know, songs in the key of life. He engineered and produced and all that. He came to one. Of, he would hang out at our rehearsals with us. And at one of the rehearsals, he brought an old friend of his who had just gotten back from England, who was James Taylor. Now, James hung out for a day with us at the band and we hit it off and, and he played us some of his songs. And we're all going, shit, this guy's really good. <laughs> but he, he was still nobody knew who James was. He had just come back from England after doing his Apple album and uh, was in, in the studio working on his his James Taylor, his first American album. Wow. And uh, when when that album was coming out, he, they asked him to play at the Troubadour out here in, L- in L.A. And Peter Asher was his producer and manager. Nice. And they had a set band at that point. They had Russ Kunkel on drums. They had Danny Korchmar on guitar. And Carol King was the piano player in the band. Mm. And they needed a bass player. And James said, man, I was at a rehearsal and I heard this guy. And he would he would be the perfect guy. And they tracked me down. And I thought I was going to play. And I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. And I was still in college and uh, I went to play one gig and it turned into the rest of my life. So you never know. Wow. It's around the corner. And if I if he had not come to that rehearsal or I would have said, no, I'm busy that day. I can't make it. I would have had a completely different life. So, wow. You, you 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 can't second guess yourself, but when opportunities come along, you know you just c- kind of jump on it. And 
it could be the greatest day of your life or it could just be another day in your life. Yeah. I always try to keep that in mind when like battle because, you know, getting anywhere is the worst part of any kind of performance thing. Like like if rain, the weather, the, the travel bus, the whatever the plane. But like I always think like when I get to wherever I'm going, I'm going to have a fucking blast, whether it's just, you know, hanging with friends or doing a gig or doing whatever it is. And then, you know, so you just got to get past that. That's the part that always hangs me up is like the, tr the getting there. Well, that, and especially now. I mean, man, every time I have to get on an airplane, man, my heart just sinks. And I don't give a yep. shit what compartment you're sitting in. Right. I know for sure that either the flight's going to be delayed or canceled. Yeah. Uh, and if there's a connection, then you're fucked again. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, and it doesn't matter what's going on. I mean, it's 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 the way it is now. And, yeah. I, and I'm just weary of it. You know, Me too. To be one of these things we looked at with excitement and 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 positive vibes, and now to me they should give everybody a, a bell to wear around their neck because you're like livestock being moved. Yeah, yeah. Can you? Yeah. It is amazing that they've somehow managed to strip the joy from from sitting in the sky for a few hours. Like you know what I mean? Like that should be like we should all be saying we like as like you know what I mean as we're yeah. up there, but instead we're like in this you know seat that's too small for even us, and you know. Yeah, uh, there's no food anymore. You can't have fun. There's no movie. The fucking window doesn't, you know. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, it's 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 tedious. But I, I always kind of, you know, and, and it's like everybody always says this thing. All the players I've ever known is, you know, you do all the gigs for free and you get paid to kill 21 hours a day. Right. And, and really, that's yeah. because the, no matter how much bullshit you've gone through during the day to get to the gig. Yeah. Bus breaks down this and all, all the things that can go wrong. The minute you walk out on stage, that all disappears. It just evaporates and you're in the moment and you're it, it's a joyous experience to, to to share music with an audience. Yeah. I don't know. There's a story. There's an old story. Carlos Vega and I used to always every time we would walk off stage, we would look at each other and go from God to cod. <laughs> yeah. The people have had this. That's great. Or they're really in this bliss moment. You've done a run, or you're on the bus, and you got an eight-hour drive ahead of you. Going, what do you want to watch? Uh, yeah. <laughs> or there's, there's a guy on the bus who's been drinking, who's going, "I love you, man." Have I <laughs> and you're going, "I'm going to kill you before this drive." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> These different levels of things. You you probably heard this story before, and it's probably told it a, a different way. But I always think about it because Seinfeld had told it, um, where there's a a, a bus um back in the day and it's a bunch of musicians going to a gig it's a blizzard the bus breaks down and they can see the gig like over the hill and they're like you know we got to walk it so they grab all their instruments and all this other stuff and they're trudging through the snow whatever and they come across this house and it's just beautifully lit up and they see this big open window and they're looking through it and it's this lovely family and they're sitting down and having a dinner and there's a husband and wife and the two kids or whatever and the band's covered in dirt and mud and it, it's disgusting and they're tired and they look into the window and they go, God, how do people live like that? <laughs> and that I always think about that whenever I'm gigging. It's so true, though. Yeah. Because you, you, you'll put up with anything mm -hmm. to play a gig. Absolutely. It's, it's, there's something that if people haven't done it, you can't describe mm -hmm. that feeling of walking out on stage and just... And it doesn't matter to me. I mean, I, I, I've, I've played for, you know, 400,000 people at a gig and I've played for 40 people at a gig and I love both of them. Right. You know, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't, the size of the audience is ir irrelevant. Absolutely. From, and, and generally 
the smallest gigs are the most fun because you're you're right there with them. You know, you can feel them. Breathe. I mean, when when in 2000, 2003, I guess it was, uh, Cobham called me and we did a, a, a 30 year reunion of Spectrum. Uh, wow. Even though even though Tommy Boland was no longer with us and Jan Hammer didn't want to go out, it was me and Tommy. I mean, me and, and Billy and Gary Husband and Dean Brown. But we played in, uh, I think it was Buffalo or someplace in, in upstate New York. It's a small club, you know, maybe about 100 people in there. And right in the front row was a guy watching me play with binoculars. He's sitting <laughs> like this the whole time watching me. And I'm going, what the fuck? Is this guy looking at nose hair or cuticles? Or, you know, it's the weirdest thing. But, you know, they're, they're those little gigs like that, that, that kind of crazy stuff happens. You know, it's amazing. We, 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 I was, I, one of the artists I work with is Judith Owen, who's married to Harry Shearer. Oh, and, yeah. And Judith is fantastic. She's this Welsh singer, songwriter, comedian. I mean, she's like unbelievable. Mm. And we were doing this gig. I think it was in, in um, must have been in overseas. Um, uh, but there was this. It was, you know, there were tables for food and drink and all that. And then it was like a little bleacher section. In it. And one of the songs that Judith and I did was we have a really beautiful, intimate arrangement between us of Blackbird. And so we're doing it as the encore uh, or maybe towards the end of the set. And there's a couple sitting down and the guy is like, does not want to be there. And his wife is loving it. And he mm -hmm. finally gets up to walk out uh, and he gets caught on the tablecloth. And as he stands up, he dumps all their food and drink on the floor right in the middle of Blackbird. Losing <laughs> her mind and all this. And we're like trying to continue playing and we're like snot running out of our noses. We're laughing. So hard. Oh, my God. When shit happens, it's just sometimes the worst stuff that happens can be the most fun that happens out there, too. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of just want to, you know, I, I walk away from that. I don't remember any of the other gigs, but I remember that one because of that. Mm, yeah. yeah, absolutely, dude. Those are good memories, man. Yeah. Uh, Tom, do we have any questions? We do. And anybody else that has a question, get it up now because I, I do see a bunch in there. Hold on. I'm going to run right we through it. Yeah, we got Yes. Yes. Everybody loves check me. out this book. Everybody does love Leland Scar. Oh, so good. <laughs> oh, I, mean, I don't even know what I'm opening to, but they're great pictures. Yeah, they're awesome, man. Oh, my God. Wow. So fucking great. I mean, there's 6,000 pictures. Wow. The guy right there, this guy on the bottom row, that's my mechanic. <laughs> but there's Brad Cole up there oh. from, from Phil's band. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And one of my favorite pictures in this book is. There you go. I'm sorry. It's, it's a weird angle to be trying to open this. <laughs> This is Theodore Lynn. He was my junior high school music teacher who turned me on to bass. Oh, my oh, God. Wow. You know, so. That is so amazing. great. It's, it's a big old massive 6,000 pictures in here of Phil Collins, James Taylor, Charlie Watts, um, Jeff Beck. I mean, you name it. Everybody. Oh, wow, man. Wow. That's so great, dude. Yeah. It was. And again, this is one of these projects that. COVID allowed me to do it, which yeah. if I'd been busy, I would have never done it. It had to be a blast to put it together. 
yeah, it was really a challenge. And tomorrow night I'm doing my first actual real book signing. Oh, um, I swear. At the South Pasadena Library. Ooh. I, I'm going to do a Q&A and, and talk about all this kind of stuff. And I think Denny Tedesco is going to come and we're going to talk about the documentary movie. And actually, when we did uh, the Woodstock Film Festival and the um, Tallgrass uh, Film Festival in Wichita, we the documentary won the audience award. Wow. Wow. Film. When when that documentary comes out to New York, when it's out here, you got to let me and John know. We have to come. Uh, first of all, I definitely want to come see it. And second, we got to take you out for a bite to eat because I, I could pick your brain forever. I would love it. I would love it. That'd Absolutely. Great, I'm, I'm going to try and grab a couple of these. So sure. do you have a favorite thing that you have or own? Wow. Um, boy, that's really, really a tough one because there's times where you kind of don't think ownership. I think one of my favorite things are my pups, my dogs. I got a couple oh. of basset hounds and, awesome. you know, they're, they're, they're roommates. Yeah, they really are. They're, they're, they're family and stuff. I mean, I, you know, I love like some of, you know, a couple of my instruments are, have been really close to me and stuff, but I'm a kind of a voracious collector. So, you know, I, I'm always on the road. I'm always out scrounging and, and stuff looking nice. You know, looking through junk shops and all that's where all this crap behind me comes from. That. I'm glad you. <laughs> I'm glad you unblurred because it's nice <laughs> to see, you know, the personality oh. behind you. Oh, all right. Maybe I will keep it unblurred. I think it's it's better like that. You know, otherwise people are kind of thinking, well, what's what's he hiding? I and know. Next thing, you, next thing you know, you've got, you know, the feds at the door. Jackie asks, is Carly Simon in the book? Um. Yes. Let me <sighs> let me see. If, I don't know. It's it's so goddamn big. It's really it's a huge. It's massive. Oh, this is one of my one of the guys I love. This this is Brett McKenzie from Flight of the Concord. Oh my God! Oh, yes, awesome. holy shit! I just did. I did the Muppet movies with him. Yes, we just finished uh, his the last. Uh, we did an album and it's just come out, um, but we've just done another one uh, that that'll be coming out um, probably. I, I don't know when. I'm, I'm looking for. I'm here. so jealous that you did the Muppet movie. I'm a huge Muppet fan. Like, oh, I, I could tell you anything about the Muppets or Jim Henson. Let me see. It's, it's so hard to dig through here and try to nail somebody down. But I, <laughs> I, I do because Carly, uh, I mean, I've known her forever, but she did the uh, the thing I talked about at Library of Congress, and that's where I got her. But I'm, I'm looking. Oh, nice. I got Will Lee here and Peter Frampton. Oh, my God. Awesome. I mean, just, just. Everybody, I mean, here's Paul. I'm looking at Paul Schaefer and Clint Black, and I just did an event with Paul. Sch oh, well, not an event. Well, I was just at an event with Paul Schaefer for a, a for Rocket, um, the um, charity organization that supports uh, kid musicians and stuff like that. Yeah, not kid well, musicians, that, but you know, right. Paul's wonderful, and his daughter is wonderful. She's real active in animal uh, rights and stuff. She was there too. <laughs> oh, great! Yeah, come on, yeah. Carly, where are you hiding? In it was time? Ricky Bird was also there. Ricky Bird's who invited me. Oh my God, that's great! Yeah, that is a great photo. Oh, double. She's double. Oh my God, that's a go, good Chris for her. There's Chris Christopherson next. Oh day. yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know who, who we got here. I can't wait oh, to get this book. Richard Marks. Oh, nice. I mean, there's there's all kinds of. There's Paula Celebator down there who basically ran Capitol Records. Yeah. Um. Oh, so it's it's really you know it's really fun going through this thing. The people who have 
who have, have I mean, I've sold a lot of them and I want to sell a whole lot more. If anybody's interested, go to LelandSklarsBeard.com. Because I tried to get LelandSklar.com. Somebody owns it. I oh, tried to get LeeSklar.com. Somebody owns it. So I came up with LelandSklarsBeard.com and I was able <laughs> to get that domain. That's so much better. <laughs> go figure. Yeah, I'll remember that. for That's so much better. Yeah. I, I hate when people try it all myself. Like, I sign everything. I mail everything. I mean, it's self-published and all that shit. So, you know, it's a real pain in the ass, but I love it. Awesome. I'm going to make sure we go to it. I know, Jackie. I know. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I just um, saw somebody said your background looks better on Blurred. Good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're, we've got a team there behind it. Great. Um, I got to ask you. Well, I want to thank you for coming on and spending time with us, dude. I really appreciate it. Um, and I got to ask you the three questions that I ask every guest that comes on the show. Okay. All right. So first one's a bit of a softball one, but um, if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give yourself that would help you today? Oh, let me think. I, I think if I really look back on it, I would say don't stop playing upright oh, uh, string bass, because that's how I started on string bass. But when my career started, nobody wanted a doubler on things yeah. nobody was asking it was only i was only playing electric and i and i miss wow. it but i really you know my chops aren't what they were when i was younger playing it all the time so i think if i was looking at my younger self i'd say keep it up stay with you know keep practicing keep with your lessons and all that because um, i i do miss it but i at this point i just i'm not going to go back and and start up again gotcha wow um second question is if you if what had to <laughs> And more of that. I'm gonna make a gif out of that, by the way, and I'm gonna be using it to send to my friends. All yours, man. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, what had to end in your life, good or bad, that led you to where you are today? Say that one more time. What had to end in your life, good or bad, that led you to where you are today? Um, I think that the thing that that ended for me to get where I am right now. And, and it, it saddens me in a way was leaving college. Oh, I was, I was, I could have been a, a lifetime student. I loved, I loved the, the atmosphere of, of higher education. I was an art and science co-majors when I met James Taylor and mm -hmm. I was in my fifth year of college. Um, I miss that. I really loved the, the feel of, of academia and, mm -hmm. uh, but man, the minutes, the minute gigs started and work started, all that stuff just blew away. And uh, especially through the 70s and 80s, I mean, we were going around the clock. So right. there was really no way to go back. And, and I mean, I, it would be fun to come up with some really goofy answers, but I'm trying to be somewhat. No, no. no yeah. The answer is whatever you want it to be. I miss college. I really loved it. And I never graduated or anything like that. I was going to ask, but what, was it weird for you then if the, having to leave college, but then also, did you play colleges at any point? Were you like, yeah, we, that's with the early days with James, it was like almost all colleges, yeah. you know, playing field houses and, and, and all that stuff. And I always loved it. I loved them. And the minute we go on a campus and you'd start to see the energy and feel the energy of, of a school. And, uh, I loved it, but you know, all of a sudden, you know, I was I was working. Yeah, I mean, when I was in college, I was always in bands, and we'd you know be working on weekends. But that was in the '60s, man. And if you could if you could muster up about forty five dollars a week, you could live pretty well. 
Wow. You know, you have wow. room with like five other people and everybody contributed, you know, rental for an apartment was, you know, like 90 bucks a month or something like that. But that was, you know, another time, another, you know, period. I literally just got heartbroken. I'm not even kidding. Oh, shit, man. I'm, man, gas is almost about seven bucks a gallon here in California now. Oh, and when shit. I was just back back doing these the film festivals like in New York and Wichita, it was like 315. And I'm, I think back to gas wars here when gas was 19 cents a gallon. Yeah. Wow. Back in the 60s. So, you know, it's like it's all relative, you know, when, yeah. It's when you got on the train. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys might say you got him 40 now or something like that. Well, you know, 40 was a long time ago to me. Right. Yeah. I'm in the caboose. I'll tell you that right now. I'm not even on the train. There's no train. <laughs> I'm sitting on that thing pumping up behind you guys. There you I'm placing saddles time here and I'm going down to the quicksand. <laughs> oh my God. Um, okay. So the last. Okay. Third question. Third question. Yeah. Third and last question. Uh, ties into the show. If this was a genuine dystopia, more so than it is now, and it was either government collapse or a comet heading toward Earth or climate change, aliens or zombies, whatever it is, you wake up and it's your last day. It's everybody's last day on Earth. How would you go out? What would be your epic death and what would be happening? Um, I would. Uh, I'd be with my wife and my puppies, you know, and we would just try to spend a, a nice day. Oh, nice. enjoy each other you know because you know anything else you know I, I that i could think of you know i, I could probably do today regardless yeah uh, but man you know it just breaks my heart every day that you know all, all these worst case scenarios that you're painting are really turning into our reality i mean they yeah, just man. they just had to blow up you know try to redirect a you know an, an asteroid coming <laughs> at least it wasn't coming towards earth but either you know even thinking that way and we're looking at the climate yeah. is definitely right. um, gone and it's past the point of no return. So we're going to have to deal with things. I mean, yep. it's roasting out here. I mean, it's finally a bit of fall is starting to happen. But I mean, being 100 degrees every day out here, you know, right. and, and and being in a drought situation in California yeah. and looking at the, the political state that we're in, all of a sudden we're, we're back almost like in a World War II mentality with. Oh, yeah this fascist work. I mean, it's like, it's so insane right now. So a kind of all the last day scenarios you're painting are really sort of, you know, the, the reality that's looming at this point. And it breaks my heart. I agree. I would have <laughs> hoped for a better world right now than the one, you know, when I turn on the TV and I listen to these pukes all, you know, spouting <laughs> off all this bullshit and stuff. And, and then I just I just want to go out there and take one for the team and, and take them down and so pay the price, whatever it is. Yep. I yeah. the thought is speaking of feds, uh, but the thought has also crossed <laughs> my mind. Yeah. Thank hey, God our backgrounds aren't blurred. When 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 I when I was in college at one point, my roommate was the head of SDS, which was Students for Democratic Society. Yeah. And we were followed by the FBI every day. So I'm pretty sure I have a pretty healthy dossier wow. going on somewhere, you know, which to me is a, I wear as a red, as a badge of honor. And I just kind of fuck you. Yeah. Do you, do you yeah. know, do you know uh, an um, older comedian from the um, 60s, 70s, 70s uh, called Chris Rush? Oh, yeah. Okay. So one of my um, best friends, his name is Joe Starr. He's a comedian, been a comedian way longer than I have. Um, he was really, really close with Chris. 
And he said that he would call Chris on the phone and, and every now and again in the middle of a conversation, he'd be like, hello, boys, bacon, uh, world, you know, and like rattle. And he'd be like, you know, they're always listening, Joe. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you know that? Do you know a comedian? I mean, he's one of the older guys, uh, Tim Thomerson. Yeah. Yeah. I remember going to the comedy store back probably it must have been in the 70s. Um, and it was one of these open mic nights, but it was like Freddie Prinze was there and wow. Robin Williams and all these oh, guys yeah. got up and did like, you know, two, three minutes and yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. Tim Thomerson came up and owned the place. Wow. He, he was up for about 15 minutes and those guys were crapping their pants. They were dying. He was the funniest wow. person I ever saw. At that point, he had like a buzz cut and he's just up there looking at the crowd and he's drinking a beer. And when he'd finish each beer, he would like, smash it on his head and when he finished his routine it was a stage was covered in crushed beer cans and he was it was like one of the best things i've ever seen in my entire life he was on, then i've seen him in movies like i, I was i was in uh, i think he was in um rhinestone which i did with dolly parton and mm -hmm. stallone he was in that but i've seen him in a lot of different movies as a character actor but man he was one of the the absolute funniest people I ever saw live. Yeah, yeah. Wow. He, yeah. I, that's what you were talking about before, man, where those moments you cannot get, you got to be in the room at that period of time and they're gone and that's it. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's so good, dude. Grab it. Just embrace it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, dude, I want to thank you so much again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm going to flip you off my own kind of, and then we'll, <laughs> maybe just do one of these. Nobody's going <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, any, anytime you want to hang just give me a shout well I, i'm happy to come back we'll do absolutely looking forward your, to it 100 is that your number that you called me from the other day that's my cell that's your cell great yeah okay cool man yeah we'll be in touch yeah, you feel free to post it to everybody up here you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah let me just that. could you imagine if i was like what kind of an idiot would i be if i was like is your number uh three eight <laughs> Oh God, man! This has been a blast, dude. Thanks so much. So many great things. All, all great comments too from the audience. Everybody just saying, "What a great ambassador for life you are," which I well, thought was a uh, was a great comment. I think that's totally that is. Is. What, a, what a sweet thing, you know. Um, just wish everybody all the very best, man. Life is hard enough when it's going great. So yeah. let's, let's just try to make the most of it and uh, and just you know take care of each other. Absolutely, Absolutely, man. You Good too. messaging. Looking forward to see you soon, man. Have a great one. Peace. Bye -bye. Take care, guys.